Welcome to Genomics Now, a podcast series where you can learn how genomics is developing in England's NHS. This podcast series, recorded in 2021, is part of the North Thames Genomic Medicine Services Educational Toolkit. In each 10-minute episode, we explore what is changing in genomics. We answer the questions on genomics we've been asked by the different healthcare professionals, we talk about the ways genomics may impact different healthcare roles, and how genomics can be used to successfully improve patient care. So today's podcast is co-hosted by me, Shazia Mohamdali, and I'm a cancer genomic scientist at Great Ormond Street Hospital. And I'm Dr. Dahlia Hopmeyer. I'm a genomics clinical fellow at Great Ormond Street Hospital as well. So we have learned over this series of Genomics Now that there are a number of genetic and genomic tests clinicians can order for their patients in the NHS. So, Dahlia, how does a clinician decide what sort of genomic test to request? Okay, so that is quite a broad question, Shazia. And basically, it depends on what the underlying condition is and also how confident the clinician is with the clinical diagnosis. So okay. let's consider the case of a child with intellectual disability. Um, there are lots of possible genetic causes, and a sensible first step would be to order an array. So this is what we would call a general screening test and doesn't actually read through all the genetic information. And so if you consider our genome as being like an instruction manual, an array checks that the right amount of chapters are present, but doesn't actually read through all the words in the manual. And you can also think of as an array as a test that compares our genome to a reference genome to look for changes in the quantity of genetic information. So we know that sometimes too much or too little genetic information can be associated with intellectual disability or developmental problems. So this would be a place to start. So an array essentially is a very broad look at someone's DNA. Exactly, exactly, that's okay. right. Now, an alternative way to look at the amount of information contained is to look at the physical structure of the chromosomes under a microscope. And this is what we call a karyotype. And an experienced eye can detect changes in the banding pattern of the chromosomes, uh, but this is not as sensitive as an array. And it's therefore no longer usually a first line test in most cases, but where there are specific circumstances, you might use this and it might be helpful. Now, if we go on to in the testing process, if the array is normal, then you would want to consider testing individual genes to look for changes in the genetic code or the sequence of a specific gene. And if you have a diagnosis in mind, you may want to just test a single gene or a small group of genes, which uh, we call a gene panel test. And this might be appropriate for conditions, for example, including Noonan syndrome. And a similar approach could be used when looking for changes in genes known to predispose to particular types of cancer. So if the differential is very wide, then broader genomic testing that looks at larger numbers, maybe hundreds or even thousands of genes um, at the same time may be a better approach. And this can be done with whole exome or whole genome sequencing. Um, and this can be a very useful test if the clinical picture is not very specific. So Dolly, if we're looking at genes, and that's what the test is for, we can look at one gene, maybe five or 10 genes or 100 genes. And then we can go in, look at um, 
whole genome sequencing or whole exome sequencing, which is a large number of genes or then the whole entire genome. So can you just explain this in a little bit more detail, whole exome sequencing and genome sequencing? Sure. Yeah. So our genome is made up of coding and non-coding DNA. And coding DNA is also called exons. And basically the exons provide instructions for making proteins. And these regions make up only about 2% of our genome. And the remaining 98% is called non-coding DNA. So it doesn't code for proteins, but it has other important functions such as regulating the genes. Whole exome sequencing looks at all of the exons. So it looks at all of the coding DNA in the genome and the majority of disease-causing variants do occur in exons. So this can be a very useful method to identify them. However, the genetic variation found in the non-coding regions, so the regions outside of the exons, can also cause disease. And this is where whole genome sequencing is needed to identify disease-causing changes in these areas of the genome. Okay, so if I'm going to just summarize that briefly, when we're looking at whole exome sequencing, it's the coding region of the genome, and that coding often informs us of the proteins that the genome can make. And then whole genome sequencing is coding and non-coding. So it might be all of the, it is all of the genes that make the proteins as well as regulatory type information. That's right, yeah. And the genetic variants that cause diseases can be in any area, but more often they're found in the exons. So you can start there, but sometimes you think it might actually be um, a variant outside of the exons. Then you need to think about whole genome. Okay. So if you can test thousands of different genes in one go by whole genome sequencing, why not just do that for everybody? Okay, so that's a really good question. And there are lots of reasons why you might not want to start with such a broad test. So first of all, a huge amount of data is generated when you sequence a whole genome, and it takes longer to interpret just because you have such a a lot of information to look through. Now, the other thing is that you will pick up a very large number of genetic variants. So these are variants that differ compared to what we would call a reference genome. And sometimes we just don't know what these variants mean because we don't have enough clinical information on them yet. Um, And therefore you might end up with variants that don't actually help you clinically and you're unsure of their clinical meaning. Uh, The other thing to think about is the expense. So whole genome sequencing is more expensive than whole exome sequencing or any other kinds of tests. Um, Another thing to mention is that even though we are technically sequencing the whole genome, it doesn't actually pick up everything. So there are some kinds of genetic variants that we wouldn't reliably pick up. And um, one example of this is copy number variants. So you can't always reliably pick up variants like this. The other thing with whole genome sequencing is that you might have unexpected findings. So what this means is that because you're generating such a lot of information, you might find out about something that isn't related to the condition that you're testing the genome for. So you may find out about conditions that predispose to other, uh, sorry, about variants that predispose to other conditions, and that can cause some problems. And the other thing is that if you're especially testing um, the whole genome of a child, 
you would often need parental samples as well um, because we do what is called a trio sequencing where we compare the parental samples to the child sample to see what the differences are to try and help us identify which variants are important. Um, and all of these things can limit you in terms of if you do want to go for whole genome sequencing. Okay, so if I was going to summarize that, so why not just pick whole genome sequencing? So the first is it takes longer and you may not have time and you may need to enact some clinical management quickly and whole genome sequencing would be too long a time frame for you to That's do That's right, that. yeah. Mm -hmm. The number of variants and the amount of information just may be too much information. You just don't need that information because you actually have uh, suspect that something um, there might be a specific gene that is causing the syndrome. Therefore, you don't need to do the whole the whole genome yeah. sequencing. It's expensive. And as we know, the NHS has budgets. So one yes. has to think appropriately how to spend money. Um, it doesn't pick up everything. You can get unexpected findings, which can be problematic. And then you often need parental samples so just going back to that point of you don't pick up everything so how sensitive is genetic testing so it really depends on what you're looking for and what you're looking at and it will vary depending on the clinical scenario so we know from large-scale studies that many children with rare disease still remain without a diagnosis despite very detailed genetic testing and why is this so there are several reasons, but so one of them is that we just don't know about all the genes at the moment. So there might be unknown genes that cause conditions that we're just not aware of. Um, so even though we sequence the whole genome, we might not know to look at these genes. Um, the other thing we've mentioned is that depending on what you're looking at, you might miss variants that are not in genes. So for example, if they are in between genes in introns or if they're in other regions of the genome, you might not find them. And then again, if there are variants in regulatory regions, you might not pick them up because you won't be, you might not be analyzing these regions. And another thing to mention is something called epigenetics. And basically what this means is that the DNA sequence itself is the same, but it is modified in a different way. So for example, you might have a different chemical group sitting on that part of the DNA, and that changes how the DNA works as well. So it might turn genes on and off. And you might not necessarily know about this if you just sequence the genome itself. Okay, another one to add to that, Dahlia, is just because of my background have been in the lab and having designed tests like this is that mm -hmm. some parts of the genome are just really hard to sequence. So the assay just doesn't pick them up. So and there is nothing that you can do to enhance that or make that better. So there just might be some places where there is a variant or that may explain the condition, but we just can't detect it. And that's called like the limit of the assay, essentially. Mm. So it can be quite confusing to know what genetic tests to request for non-geneticists. So can you explain how we might go about this? Sure. And I feel like I've said this before in this podcast, but basically it depends on the specific clinical scenario and what the clinical indications are. But a very useful resource um, is the National Genomic Test Directory. And we have recorded another podcast on this. So if you want more information on that, please do listen to it. But basically, we've talked about how the National Genomic Test Directory outlines which genomic tests are available for which conditions. 
So if the patient meets the clinical criteria which are outlined in this national test directory, they can be offered a genomic test. Yeah, and also the laboratory is there to help anyone that has any kind of query when it comes to what test is appropriate for their patient. They've got so much experience of which tests have been ordered before and the information that's needed for that. And like you say, the criteria that needs to be met. So if in doubt, definitely contact your local genomics laboratory hub. So Dali, could you just kind of overall summarise what... um, what which test that someone should go for and go through kind of like the levels of the different tests that there is possible sure so i think um, as we mentioned before depending on the clinical scenario this will help you to inform which test you would pick initially but something that is often done is to do this overall screening test such as an array Um, however if you're very certain that a condition is caused by a single gene you might just go straight to test that gene. So again, it depends on your clinical scenario. And then if you think you're quite sure that you know about what the condition is, but it fits more into a group of conditions, you might do a panel test. This is where you would test a certain number of genes. So it could be anything from two genes to thousands of genes. So it really depends on your scenario. And then the step up from that would be, as we mentioned, to go towards whole exome or whole genome sequencing if your differential is very broad or you're not actually um, sure what you're looking for and you feel like you need to examine all of the genetic information to come to a conclusion. That's a great summary. Thank you so much. Um, It's been really helpful in understanding all the genetic tests that are possible also out there um, to be able to order in the NHS. So if anyone wants to understand the biology and science that underpin all these different types of tests, the arrays, the karyotyping, whole genome sequencing, whole exome sequencing, please take a look at our facilitators toolkit, which is on the North Thames GLH website. And there you'll find a module called Clinical Genetic Testing Methods, which describes the different technology approaches used in genome testing. So thanks, Dahlia, today for being a great co-host. Thank you, Shazia. We will speak soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Genomics Now, a series of conversations hosted by healthcare professionals of the North Thames Genomic Medicine Service. Our aim is to complement other genomic-focused educational tools with bite-sized podcasts that explore how clinical genomics is developing in England's NHS. If you have any suggestions for topics you would like us to develop as part of the Genomics Now podcasts, please let us know. Also, we'd love to hear about the episodes you've enjoyed and how they have helped you with training. Please get in contact with us on the link given with this podcast or tweet us at North Thames GLH. You will find this and other educational resources at the North Thames GLH website.